Clap, clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands podcast, hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands pod, brought to you by Odyssey Sports and 94 WIP. I'm your host, Elliot Shore Parks. Kyle, what up, man? Kyle Newbeck, episode number two. We're not uh, recording this at damn near midnight this time so uh, <laughs> see your little background with some light in it and everything oh yeah and uh we're not all angry about losing sleep <laughs> or having just watched the sixers play double overtime against a terrible team so good vibe or better vibes i should say maybe Dude, not the good reaction vibes, but better vibes the reaction to that game i gotta say like when i was watching it live i knew people would be upset for sure but the next day so i happened to fill in for john marks uh on the Marks and Reese show from, from two to six. And so people were furious, man. Like I knew people would be mad and I'm used to like angry Eagles fans who can certainly get pretty upset. Like I, I do kind of feel like that game was almost a bit of a breaking point with, with how people feel about the team. And before we get right into that, like just want to remind everybody from the first pod. uh, Thanks everyone to listen to the first pod, by the way, Um, super appreciate all the feedback. Uh, It was an awesome first experience, but just as a reminder, this pod is available on the Odyssey app and you can get it on all your different podcasts. And it really helps if you guys subscribe and leave those five-star reviews. It helps the pod grow. We actually have a really good question somebody left from, from our first five-star review. So I did see that before we came on. I wanted to make yeah. sure I was uh, keeping up with everybody. Yeah, well, so it seems like you're excited to, to answer it based off that. But, <laughs> so, yeah, so subscribe. And if you hit the auto subscribe button, it helps us grow, obviously, but also you get the episodes first. They just download automatically your thing. So going to be a lot to talk about with this team for sure. We're going to preview today. We got a lot to get into. Obviously, the Lakers game on Friday, which I think is kind of the beginning of a season-defining home stretch for this team. Like how we feel about sure. the team now versus at the end, I think is going to be very different. So we'll definitely get into that. I want to get Tyrese Maxey update from you. You were down at practice today, if I'm not mistaken. So I want to ask you about the vibe of the team. So definitely a lot to get into. And then, so do you ever use the uh, the trade machine? Are you a big trade machine guy? So I actually, I don't use the trade machine, like the ESPN trade machine. That yeah, was the yeah. OG. Now there's, it used to be called just tradenba.com. I believe mm. they changed the domain, but it's an even better one because you mm. can actually add picks and exceptions and different stuff that it's a lot more visually friendly and you can also make trades with you know assets quote unquote and i think that makes it better than the original one but the the answer is yes i've seen lots of bad i've seen lots of bad screenshots that's honestly one of the best articles every year is Mm -hmm. to take you, you essentially you ask the audience to submit their trade ideas and then you just grade them. It's like yes. which which of these are the best, which of these are the worst, and that leads into the trade deadline kind of beautifully. Well, it's funny. So first of all, the Sixers have no assets, so I can keep using ESPN, I guess, right? They have no picks to trade. They have nothing, nothing like that. But that is the one thing I'm jealous of, like just you know behind the scenes a little bit. Like so, obviously I cover the Eagles full time, and so I'm excited to do, to discuss Sixers. But I do wish trades in the NFL were a little more like that trade machine. Like I always get jealous when I see people making up these like three team trades where, you know, during the whole Ben Simmons <laughs> thing, like Ben goes here, Toby goes here, like da, da, da. in the NFL, it's basically always just a player for a pick. And so it's can never, it's never quite as fun as I feel like for someone that loves hypotheticals, I feel like you're in the perfect uh, sport for it. I will say I'll play devil's advocate. It kind of sucks that the transaction business oftentimes overshadows the product on the floor. Mm. And I think you see that in the way, especially on TV, the way the NBA is covered. It's a lot of like, it's two years of, is LeBron going to leave Cleveland? (laughs) Is Giannis going to leave Milwaukee? And it's a lot of stuff like that. Instead of, I think one thing I really like about watching NFL coverage is that you know there's some of that but it's a lot of discussing the games themselves and right. the performances and you know Jalen Hurts versus Patrick Mahomes and you know whatever it's stuff that's actually happening not stuff that might theoretically happen six months to a year into the future man maybe we should switch jobs because I'm not gonna lie <laughs> <laughs> like for me I love like the the off the field stuff way more and I I mean I also think working for WIP and like being in more of that kind of field, like 
I just think that's the interesting part of sports too. Like I love, and we're going to get into like some of the Sixers problems and all those things, but don't you think the most, like the funnest part of this is being like, man, Joel seems upset. Like, what if he's going to ask out? How like, could he go here? Like in the NFL, you get that a little bit. Obviously I was there with the Carson thing, but I feel like the NBA people always say it's like the, the best seasons off season in some ways. And even during the season two at the trade deadline. I get that there's a balance of it. And it's why I do try to give fans as much as I can with regards to trade rumors and what have you. But like, I'm not in this business because I especially like following (laughs) trade rumors. I I love basketball. I love going to games. I love the atmosphere around games. I love seeing big moments and big plays and all that. And so that, that to me is what drives my passion for doing this. But you know, it ultimately I'm a conduit to the fans. So the, you're, you're the, the biggest traffic yeah. stories are always, you know, would you trade Tobias Harris for this poo-poo platter of, of uh, picks and players? Which is fine. That's you know. Well, let me ask goes. you this, and we're completely off tangent now. I sent Kyle a rundown. We're like, we're already off of that. But let me ask you this: You are a recently married man, right? Like, how long ago did you get married? Like four or five months? Uh, or no, no we're married? actually coming up on two months in about a week. So all right, not so that long. Do you guys watch reality TV? Not really, no. Kendall oh Kendall watches like three or four shows total. She's all right, what, total what, what's she working with here? They're all like 50-year-old lady shows. She watches uh, Law & Order SVU. Great show. She watches Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Overrated in my opinion, but okay. And forensic files to get her true crime. Okay. Fix. Although that mostly is like she falls asleep to that. So well, I think Law and Order is like the the best show to fall asleep to. But where I was going with this was I'm a big reality TV show guy. So like Real Housewives, Vanderpump, like all those shows. So maybe that's why my heart is in the drama. Like maybe that's why you know like I don't I, watch I, any of that garbage. Man. Oh man. So I guess I guess we won't be able to discuss the recent you know like all, all those shows. We're out on that. Maybe maybe Kendall, I can get her into it though. Although based off those TVs, maybe maybe not. All right. So here's what I wanted to start the pod with um, before we get into the hypothetical. Um, You were down at practice today. You were down there. And uh, yesterday, too. And yesterday, too. Last two days, it's like a a miracle in the middle of the season. Do they they normally not do that? I guess because of schedule? No. So normally, it's a lot of every other day games. And they never, at least under Doc Rivers, they never practice the day after a game. Okay. Unless they have these periods where there are multiple days off, mm. we're not seeing them except on game days. So what I wanted to ask you was um, three straight losses for the team. You're down there the last two days. It's interesting because you don't really get into the locker room as much. Like in the, in, in the NFL, I'm in there all week, you know, like two, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're around all the players. But like, what's the vibe like down there? Do you, do you, do you sense panic? Do you sense people are alarmed by the three, three straight losses? Like, what do you think is going on through people there? No, I think it's it's been relatively even keel and, you know, we got to figure this out. I think they've been, honestly, they're pretty brutally honest about where they're at and why they made certain mistakes or why they had certain limitations. For example, uh, Tobias Harris talked at practice. This is, we're recording this on Thursday. He talked earlier mm-hmm. today and was asked about offensive rebounding for other teams and why that was such a problem for them. And he said, you know, some of it is just effort. Like they have wow. to play harder. And, you know, they have to, there are some things they need to do or could do schematically committing more bodies and you balance it against getting out in transition and playing with pace. But he said the first two things you have to do, one, get stops, guard your man better, stop penetration. And that Mm -hmm. way you're not dragging Joel out further from the rim. And then on top of that, you have to work hard. Like there are moments that he said they saw as a group on tape that, They just need to hit the glass harder. And so I don't think they're being dishonest about where they're at, which I think is a good thing. The thing that worries me with a a Doc Rivers coach team in general is that there have been times in his career where they'll ignore their problems or they'll they'll act like their problems are not their problems. And that's not happening here. It does sound like they're at least aware of what they need to do better and how they can turn this thing around. But that all being said, I do also think they understand the importance of this homestand that's up ahead. They have, I believe, I want to say seven games yeah. at home in a row. Yeah. And so they know this is a really serious buckle down stretch because, and this is getting way too far down the road. If they don't start to win games now, their March schedule is probably the worst in the league. Wow. They're on the road 
most of the month. They have a ton of back-to-backs, and a lot of those games are against good or really good teams. Mm. If they don't build some kind of cushion going into that month, they could very easily end up in a situation where they are really struggling for seeding at the end of the year. So when I hear that, and it's true, like they have seven straight home games. Now they're not the easiest opponents. Like I think the Warriors come to town. There's a few tough ones in there. The Raptors come to town, but then you go to New York and to Washington. So like really kind of nine straight games that you would hope that you leave those nine games with, with at least five wins. Like, I think they got to go at least five and four and you obviously hope they win more than that. But I hear you talk about what Tobias said about effort and, you know, those type of things. Like, wasn't that what they paid? Uh, isn't that they paid PJ Tucker like ten million dollars for? Isn't that what Daniel House is supposed to do? Like, I remember when they signed all these players, it was oh, well, these guys are effort guys. These guys got that dog in them. Like, that's who Joel wanted. Blah blah blah. Like, has that not translated? Like, why do you think they signed all these effort guys, and now a, you know a third of the way into the season, we're still talking about effort? I think that comes in fits and starts. You see PJ on the offensive glass, I think more than the defensive glass. And that in itself is a disappointment, right? Like they need him to do the dirty work on both ends. It doesn't matter what it is. I think one thing I've been particularly upset with him for is he's been getting back cut on a lot. PJ Tucker, a lot Mm -hmm. of guys just going by him baseline. And is that effort or is that physical? I don't know if it's, I'd have to like really drill down and watch every single play. Some of it might be awareness and, you know, a lack of concentration. Some of it is he's older and slower. Some of it is just Joel being pushed up and guys are in scramble. And then it's like, you know, where does he go? Their, their roles and their assignments are not exactly hammered out at this point because people are cycling in and out of the lineup, but he's also not the only guy that's been guilty of that. They've done a bad job of Mm -hmm. staying connected off the ball recently. But to your point, yeah, I mean, you bring a guy like him in to help solve some of those problems. He's not someone that's going to shut down individual scorers, but he's someone that is going to help you keep the integrity of your defense. And he did that for the month that Harden was out. It could be as simple as adding Harden back as – you know, going to complicate things on defense. But I think that's that's blaming James too much for something that, at least over the last few games, has been a much bigger problem for them in general. So I know this, like, isn't you saying it specifically because it's, like, what you're hearing around the team. And I, I, I know there's some truth to it. But it's just it's just so frustrating to hear things like, you know, A, effort, but also, like, they have to, you know, play together more, things like that. Like, again, this is what we said after the Rockets game. Like, this team has mostly been together for half of last season, the playoff run, all the offseason, a preseason, and now 20 games in. Like, you look at other teams around the league that lose players, and they don't crumble like this. Like, the Bucks didn't have Chris Middleton for a little bit. They were basically fine without him. Like, so that's just the frustrating part for me about it. And, like, one guy they have missed, who I know you were down there with this week, or at least saw him, he's uh, sporting a new... Looks like he's got the fro out. Took the. Uh, I think Tyrese out. is back today to his normal hairstyle. So that might have okay. been a a picture of his college hair surface, and he's like, you know what? I got to get my act together. I got to uh, tighten there's it up a, a little bit. There's a part of me that's always just wanted him to go with the Iverson cornrows. Like I just feel like it would make him look so like slick and fast, and he's already so fast as it is <laughs> out there. And so when I saw the fro, I was a little like, man, maybe he's gonna do it. But I guess you're saying he's back to his original Tyrese hair. I, I'm not one to police uh, their hairstyles. I no, that would be comfortable my... playing with. Um, <laughs> as long as it's not getting in their face or whatever. That's, yes. Uh, that's all I can ask for. Uh, to your point, though, Tyrese on several fronts is really important for this. Yeah. Week. And I, I do think, you know, aside from we know what he can do as a scorer, a shooter, all that stuff, and how having that extra offensive firepower makes them more dangerous. I do think you sort of miss that youthful energy. And the positivity he has, like he can do all that on the bench and be the rah-rah team guy. But you know, Elliot, like you can only do so much when you're standing yeah. on the sideline. That there's, 100%. there's there is a limit to what you can do and how you can impact the team if you're not on the floor. And I think when Tyrese is in the lineup and Joel, for example, goes through these kind of mopey, lethargic stretches, that's when Tyrese takes the ball, gets downhill and goes and scores eight points. And you feel that, like, the scoring impact, but you also see, like, the crowd goes crazy. Or in a road game, you start to silence some of the road fans. And, you know, he's been big over the last couple years going on these personal runs and really changing the energy of the game. And then being in the huddles, 
and just saying, look, we got this. We're still in this game and finding a way to keep everybody connected. Like you can see it in the locker room too. Tyrese and Joel have lockers close to each other at, at yeah. the Sixers arena. And it's a lot, it's a big, like little brother, big brother dynamic where Tyrese is the, the really chatty, upbeat, like in mm-hmm. Joel's ear type of guy. Joel's in his corner, his feet in ice, and he's got his phone out. He's watching different NBA games every night. Yeah. And Tyrese is trying to talk to him about 15 different things. <laughs> and they have a good relationship. And I think Tyrese, Joel needs somebody like that. He needs guys that are a bit of a, a contrast in personality to him. And so I think when he's healthy, it goes much further than just, you know, what he offers as a, a basketball player. So do you think the Tyrese injury was a bigger deal than the Harden one? I think they're they're similar. I, I do mm-hmm. think the Harden one was bigger in the sense that they need to build the identity around him and Joel because yeah. as much as Tyrese has taken a step forward, ultimately we saw even in James's first game back, push comes to shove, they're running a play at the end of the game. It's in James's hands. Mm-hmm. And maybe that changes at some point, but they need to figure out these late game sets, these late game plays with Joel and James at the center of things like that. They're the guys who are going to be the money players in those spots for better or for worse. And they need to develop those reps. They have to figure out what everybody else is doing around them. And so the, the lost time that they had during that month is a really big deal to me because they, by the time they get to the playoffs, they need to have mastered all this stuff. It can't be, Hey, we're still figuring out what we want to run. It has to be, we need to know option a, B, C, D, on every single play and how to cycle through those instead of, you know, James Harden isolates and just puts up a step back three. Yeah, it gets blocked. After yeah. bleeding the clock for 20 seconds. Right, dribbling the air out the ball too. So Maxi, I believe Doc said he's just now starting to run, if that that's correct. Or So where is he at in his rehab? And like we talk about how important this upcoming stretch is. He's probably going to miss all, all the seven home games. Do you think there's a chance he's back? I think he probably makes it back before the end of the homestand it'll be on the back end i think mm-hmm. realistically so he his injury timeline was four weeks from about november 19th uh, okay. what i was told yesterday by a team official is that it's probably closer to the four week end of that timeline so that would put him around december 19th i believe right. they play i know they play on the 23rd i think that's the clippers game that's they the might, last game, I think, right? They might have one before that as well, um, maybe like the 21st. So mm-hmm. that's I probably think they have two days off between each game or something like that. So there's no yeah. back to backs in the whole thing. I'm just between the Eagles and Sixers, it's like every oh, you there's, there's no breaks. Right? So I don't know <laughs> days of the week, let alone uh, yes. when they play each game. Yes. But yeah, so I, I think he probably makes it back on this homestand. Um, but if you just use the. Um, the comparison to the Harden injury, Harden came back and it was like no, late November. It's actually right before Tyrese got hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, mid to late November, he starts shooting and it was two and a half weeks or so from okay. there that he was able to return. So it, it's right in that end of the homestand time frame, using that as a guide too. Yeah. So Maxi coming back obviously will be huge for this team. I think what you said about him with Joel is a really interesting point because what we kind of saw in that Rockets game was a little bit of like lackadaisicalness, kind of like Toby said. So like I remember last year when Brandon Graham got hurt to kind of compare sports. Like Brandon Graham is like the lifeline in some ways of that defense. And it's just different when you're hurt. Like you just you're you're in the locker room, but you're not really in the locker room. You're in the rehab room. You don't travel, like all those things. So I do wonder if just Tyrese's like infectious young personality coming back will help these like old washed veterans like try a little harder, you know, so so that could be big. But so what I wanted to ask you too, I was thinking about this um, earlier today about Maxi. So I think Maxi in some ways has the potential to be the guy they go to at the end of the games. And you, you touched on that uh, in the last pot. But I also think we would agree that Maxi is probably another year or two away from being like game seven, 25 plus points, if not 30 points, like takes the last shot. Like you agree he's probably that far away, right? Yeah. So I think this team's in a tough spot. And I've been thinking about this since the Rockets game because 
on one hand, Joel and Harden are win now players, like absolute win now players. And I think Maxi is a, a year or two away. And I think ultimately, like, how can they fix the team, right? I think they have to decide, do they want to win with this window, which is Joel and Harden, or do they want to set up to win with the next window, which is Maxi? And I don't think they can do both. I don't think this team is currently constructed is good enough to win anything. But the only trade piece they kind of have is Maxi and, and, and Tobias if he keeps playing this well. So I guess my question for you would be, if you look at how they can fix this team, are they better off moving Maxi and Toby for some package and recommitting here? Or do they need to start looking towards the future when they kind of take these moves into consideration? I think you kind of just have to hope that this group is good enough with Tyrese here. Because I like if you trade Tyrese, we discussed this some and I've written this a lot so far mm -hmm. this year. I think betting further on this group to win now is a really dangerous concept. Like mm -hmm. if you were trading Tyrese and you're getting like an in their prime type star that could potentially extend the window that right. might not exist right now, but in, in theory exists. That's a different story. If you're trading him for like, like the big one over the summer is Kevin Durant, right? Like mm -hmm. everybody is saying, what kind of package can our team put together for Kevin Durant? Trading for 34 year old Kevin Durant and you basically have one or two runs at it. James might leave. Joel might be dissatisfied, whatever it is. And then you're left with absolutely nothing. Like you are barren. Right. And I don't think that's a then you're in just no man's land. You're in the wilderness for years. Now, if you win a title in that time, that's great. And I ultimately fell on the side of it's Kevin Durant. Like you do what mm -hmm. you can if the option is there to get him. But now that I've seen more of this team, I've seen this group and I just get more skeptical. I like I don't think you can be in the mindset of we got to move Tyrese for somebody that's going to help us win right now. I think you need to put the onus on joel and james to say this is who we got and it's up to you guys to carry us through to be the best versions of yourselves day after day to lead this team and in that case if they prove that they can't one they weren't worthy of a trade to push more chips in right, you've already surrounded them with yeah. enough you don't want to double down in that case and if they end up being those guys then i think tyrese ultimately can help them so I don't like I don't think a maxi trade unless it's for some, you know, we, you never know. You don't know what's out there. His value among young players is really high yeah. because not only is he very good, he's also great character. Like every single character trait that you want in a prospect yeah. is like through the roof. Hard worker, good kid is someone that you would want to lead a program. And so unless you're getting some like pie in the sky, in their prime star offer for that. I just don't right. think you can move them. Well, and so that's what had me thinking about too, because I was looking at the trade machine, trying to figure out what could they get for Tobias? Because if you're not going to move Maxi and you're presumably not going to move Joel or Harden, obviously, right? Like what's the piece that you move to make this team better? Because I think we would, we would all agree. I would assume the listeners, and it seems like you do as well, that this team is not good enough right now to win it all. Like it almost feels like their best chance is just to hope somebody gets hurt on Boston or Milwaukee and maybe Miami as well and hope that Joel stays healthy. Like, I don't think this team's best versus those other teams best is good enough. Like I, I don't, I don't think they can beat those teams. So, I mean, Boston right now has like, and again, only so many games have been played. They have like the single best offense in the history of the NBA. That's the pace that they're on right now. Right. And the Sixers defense hasn't even been as good recently. So maybe earlier in the year, you could have talked yourself into the defense, whatever. But if you're like, it, you can't really get anything for Tobias though. Like I went around and I was looking and I would love to have some names thrown out by you. Like, like Kelly Oubre or something like I, like his money is too high where you're not getting anything of value. So like, do you think a Tobias trade one-on-one -on -one is worth it? Or do you think to actually get like, a difference maker, like a Damian Lillard, right? I know he can't be traded. I don't think it's until January 8th or something like that. But And there, he's also in the Joel category where they're not trading Dame Lillard unless Dame Lillard says, I want out. And he has reiterated maybe 750 times he wants to be in Portland and write his legacy there. So even him, that's like, it's not going to happen.
Right. And maybe he could change his mind, but you're right. He has reiterated that. But I guess my point I'm making is if you're not going to trade Maxi, then you're not getting anything for Toby. Like, I almost think you have to package them together because otherwise you're not getting anything of substance that's going to help this team. I tend to agree. And I've, I've tried to make this point throughout the year. I think Tobias has been the least of their problems. I agree. Most of this year. Like, I, I think he has adapted to the circumstances as well as he possibly could. This is a guy that I constantly complain about. And most people constantly complain about that. He wouldn't take more threes. Mm -hmm. He's now taking a lot of them. He's buying into that catch and shoot role and just being a, you know, he's spacing the floor for everybody. He's shape shifting based on what they need him to do night to night. He's also a really even keel calm voice in the locker room with, they have some dynamic, we'll say to be friendly personalities in Mm -hmm. that room. And I think he helps keep them all grounded. And, you know, during this tough stretch where they lose three in a row, he's not going to allow people to lose their heads and and turn on each other. And so that's valuable too. Now, ultimately, if they could trade him for guys on smaller contracts, guys who they can use as pieces that can sort of shape shift the lineup and and do some different things, maybe they do it. If they could get a true wing and then like another really solid bench piece, I still think maybe they do it. But I, I tend to think watching this team that, he it's no longer Tobias is holding them back. I think right. Tobias has done everything he needs. He's making too much money and mm-hmm. that has impacted their roster building, but they can't really do anything with that money right now. Anyway, the, the time when you would move him, when the money would make a difference is if this team flames out, you look at the off season and maybe you decide, Hey, we're not going to build around James Harden anymore. And we're not going to build around this group. You let Harden walk, you dump Tobias's salary somewhere, and then all of a sudden you have all this free money to, all right, how are we rebuilding this team around Joel, and how does that work? So t- so Toby's deal, he has the rest of this season and then next season as well, correct? Yeah. Yes. So if Harden were to walk this year and then you would trade Toby for expirings, at that point your cap, you would have some cap room to breathe, right? Yeah, I mean, it, the problem is you would essentially you would essentially have to trade him somewhere where they're not sending salary back to you. And mm-hmm. there are few, if any, teams at this point who are going to be able to just absorb. I think he's going to make like 40 million or mm-hmm. 40 plus million next year. And that becomes a very difficult task. Like pure salary dumping him would take basically all the picks that you probably have left, or at least one of the valuable picks that you have right. left. And you have to know at that point that you're getting somebody like you can't just trade him. And then we have this cap space and we give it to, you know, role players. That's that has to be all lined up and a lot more tampering that they'd get in trouble for <laughs> probably. And hopefully for a better player than PJ, you know, the, this time. But um, do you think Toby's values increased around the league? Cause I feel like a while ago it was, he's the worst contract in the league. You would have to attach picks just to move him. Nobody wants to trade for him. I feel like now that he's close to an expiring, maybe that's changing. Like if they wanted to trade him and do you, well, I'll say this. Do you still think they want to? I mean, I know he seems to always, name's always out there, but if things changed. I think ultimately they would like to turn 30, whatever million dollars into more than one guy. If they could, it's just like a tough, it's tough to build a deep contender that's, He's never going to be the first, second, or even now third most important guy on the team, and yet he's still making basically $40 million. Right. That, that's just a really tough way to build a championship team. And if you could take that and break it down into players who maybe are not as good or as you know diverse in skill set as him, I still think that they would choose to do it if they could. But I also don't think they're at the point where they're like, we have to move him specifically. It's just he's the he's the chip they have to move if they're going to try to build around this core. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, but to your point, yeah, I do think his value has gone up naturally just because he's getting towards the end of his deal. I still don't think anyone is like chopping at the bit to, to acquire him. But mm. he's an interesting guy for, you know, maybe a team that is young, but is sort of ascending, but not there yet, and wants to make a, a mini leap as their young core guys start to get better. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're still interested in a guy like him. I just, it's a limited market because a, a really good team's not trading for him. I don't think you want him as a like 
bottom of the rebuild type yeah, thing right. because you want to just play all the young guys and build the team around them. So it's a it's a tricky fit, I think. Yeah, I mean, do you think he has moved ultimately? Like, because again, I'm tr- like I spent probably two hours this morning figuring out like what this team could do to get better, and I don't see how that starts again. Well, unless Joel and Harden play better, which we agree is the key. But like, is to if they if they don't move Tobias and they're not going to move Maxi, like Thibault, we agree has no value around the league, right? Like Thibault is not bringing you back anything. Yeah, honestly, we haven't even mentioned his name in the first two pods yet. I genuinely think we might have to talk about DeAnthony Melton as like their... Wow. He's the type of guy you want to keep on the team, frankly, which is also why he's an interesting trade chip. Mm -hmm. He's a two-way guy. He's on a great team contract. He's young and still has, you know, theoretical upside into the future. That's somebody, you know, you would, you turn him and one of their guys that's essentially just a contract. Furkan is on like a $5 million deal between them. That's about 13 million. Maybe if there's like a win now, push the chips in type move, it's trading two guys like, like Melton is the the Mm. desirable piece. The other guys, the contract. Now I, I tend to think he's the type of person you want to keep on the team. Yes. I'm surprised to hear you say that I did like 800 hypothetical trades and I didn't put him in a single one. Like what you, I don't, I don't know what the trade is, but I'm right. saying like if you're if you're just going down the list of all right, these are guys who might have value in the league that you might be mm-hmm. able to trade for something that actually helps you. He's one of the few guys that's like, oh yeah, that's somebody that other teams would actually give yeah. up things to acquire him. So I whether that I like, I think that would be lower down their list if they had their wishes, but you right. never know. I think, well, no, it's interesting. I think that the tough thing with trading him, though, would be, and by the way, so a plane is going over my house right now. Uh, so I guess it's coming your way soon. Before we started, there was a plane. Already, yep, already hit ours. Yeah, exactly. So apparently uh, apparently we're almost next door neighbors here. So sorry to the, the people to hear that. I will say, so I used to live out in Westchester. Um, me and Kristen lived out there for about two or three years. We just moved back into the city. The planes over the head, not something you heard a lot of in Westchester. A lot more uh, feels like uh, helicopters and such flying around the city than uh, than out in Westchester. So it's been a, a bit of an adjustment. How, are you been in the city a while? Or are you? Uh, yeah, I've been, and I lived in Westchester at one point also because okay. I went to school there, so I know that area very nice, very fairly nice. well. Yeah, Westchester was dope. Like I feel like there are a lot of um, like a lot more to do out there than I expected. Like when I first moved out there. So I met Kristen, she lived out there and we moved in eventually. That's where, where we live. And I was kind of like, all right, what am I going to do in Westchester? But there, there, there's a ton to do. So uh, anyway, sorry, that's completely off tangent, but, but, but the mountain thing, I know, I'm sorry. You're going to have to get used to that. I, I do that sometimes, but um, the mountain thing, he would be a legit, a legit trade piece. My only concern with that would be to your point, if you package him with somebody else. So let's say you get up to 13 million in salary. You're probably only getting one guy for that. And it's hard to think at 13 million, what player you would get that would be just as good as Melton, but not only would replace what Melton does, but then increase it, right? Like, I think you could probably trade Melton for somebody for 13 million where you get something similar, but I don't think you're getting Melton plus, but he probably is their best trade piece besides Maxi. So, so it's an, I mean, it's an interesting one, but so he, he's under contract next year too, right? Yes. He's a, I believe he'll be unrestricted after next year because I think he was a, the, the type of deal that he signed. Uh, I'd have to double check that. Um, But that's why it's interesting, right? Because he's one of your most promising players. Yeah. He, he, he has off nights on offense and you can't let him have too much responsibility, but one of the things I've been thinking about more, and I know the fan base has discussed a lot, is whether he should start. Like you, you bump him up into a starting role, you slide PJ out, and you get smaller, but you also get more athletic, and you have three different guards on the floor who can attack you off the dribble that are all pretty good shooters. And you know whether that's your real closing type group. Mm-hmm. And I've been really interested in how he pairs with the other guards going back to the offseason. So the fact that I, I'm not saying they need to trade him, I, I think that just speaks to no, it's what they have to move and the type of contracts that everybody's on. So well, you know, and we'll that's a t- that's a tough one too because how we talked about you don't want to push your chips back in on this, but you also need to 
to keep the future in mind with it. So I do want to real quick here, um, the five-star reviews. So I said at the top uh, of last pod, and then at this one, you guys could hit the auto subscribe. If you could download, it helps the, helps the show grow. And the reason I'm bringing up this up now, cause it's, it's a coaching thing. We did get a five-star review and they specifically wanted to ask you, this is from Rucka 34. The question is, shouldn't the Sixers just hire Udoka? What did, didn't Embiid, <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is where we're going. Shouldn't the Sixers just hire Udoka? Did Embiid like him? The whole Nets thing was weird. I know Kyrie complicated it, but Kyrie was already crazy and Udoka was already suspended when Nash was fired. What changed? So I know you don't cover the Nets, so you don't have to, to get into that. But like, I don't know. People want Doc fired and he would seem like the logical choice. I know there was a report at one point that there was a mystery team involved at the end of that Nets thing. Like, well, what, what's your thoughts on that? If they did fire Doc, do you think they would go down that path? No, I and I think yeah, it is. the reason the Nets didn't hire him is because everybody either knows so little or knows too much about whatever happened with him mm -hmm. in Boston with the subordinate. Like I, I don't think I don't think people have grasped the fact that the Celtics went on a finals run and yeah. whatever he did was so bad that they suspended him for the year, which is effectively firing him. Like he's not going to be the coach right. anymore. He's, he's done there. And the fact that they've been so good without him with one of the assistants, Joe Missoula taking over that also suggests that, you know, how important was he to who they are? Like, I know that he led them to this insane turnaround last year. And obviously he was a good hire and is a good coach. I was skeptical of that because he was the defensive coordinator when uh, he was in Philadelphia and yeah. their defense wasn't that good. That ended up being more of a personnel problem than, uh, than him, obviously in hindsight. Um, but yeah, I just think if you want to, if you want to avoid toxicity and distractions and mm -hmm. get the program on the straight and narrow, that's not the guy. Like it's not just two distraction just, you need. Right. You need someone who's like the vibes guy. Yeah. And you need, or, and, or you need someone who's the vibes guy. I think my dog's loose in his mind. Nice. You can Very nice. Over there. And you need someone who's an X's and O's guy, which, you know, maybe that's, you could say that about him, but you can get an X's and O's guy that is also not going to be bringing like right. workplace harassment and other types of concerns along with him. So I, yeah. I don't, I tend to believe that wouldn't even be on the table because Brooklyn, that deal was basically done. I know they were ready to hire him. And then it was like, whether it was public backlash or whatever they learned after that, they backed off and were like, no, thank you. Yeah. And so the fact that that didn't happen and he had been there before that, they knew yeah. him well. It's like, I don't, I don't think that's even close to happening. Well, the reason I asked there was because you were talking about putting Melton in the starting lineup. And do you think Doc has it in him to make a change like that? Like after bringing in uh, and all the money they gave Tucker, obviously Tobias, I think from my limited time around the team, like might take it a little better actually than Tucker would moving to the bench, just his personality. But I mean, do you think Doc has it in him to make a major change like that if all the guys are healthy? I don't think so. I, I think it'd be more likely that he leaves the starting lineup as is. And then you maybe slowly transition to Melton as one of your closing guys. And like, mm -hmm. that's fine. I, I think people and Doc has said this and he's right. And a lot of coaches say this. The starting lineup is not as important as who's finishing games. And so yeah. ultimately, if they say, you know, D'Anthony Melton, you get to be in the closing five for whoever that is. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Or, and like they could set it up too. It might be that PJ is part of your defensive closing five, and Tobias obviously is going to be in your your offensive five. Yeah, and it's it's not as much of a you just stick these five guys on the floor and that's it. But I think Melton is just really interesting in that he can help you on both ends, which is not really the case with most of this roster. And so like, I'm very skeptical that doc will do it in general, but I think that's the more likely path is that PJ continues to be the starter almost regardless, unless his game just totally falls off a cliff the way it has over the last month. I was going to say, as opposed to now, like, I mean, <laughs> well, just if it continues, right? Like yeah, it, it's yeah. one thing to have a bad month. It's another for it to be the entire season. And, yeah. you know, as much as doc favors the vets and favors experience, I don't think he'll, 
ignore and maybe he'll prove me wrong and i'll look like an idiot <laughs> i don't think he would ignore pj being bad for an entire season like that's yeah. just not any coach would make the change at that point i think benching pj would be hard just like it seems like his personality the money they gave him he's harden's guy i think that would be a tough tough move to make but but at the same time like the next seven games and then the two versus uh new york and washington like I don't know. This could, I know you're saying they're not out on dock and that they believe in them and everything. But to me, this, this next stretch feels like the season defining stretch, like the absolute season defining, like who they are at the end of this stretch, I think di dictates how Maury treats it, how the tre how the deadline goes, what doc's future is like. And so I, I think we're about to learn a lot. I, I wanted to ask you at the end of the last pod, I, I gave you a question. I asked you to think about it. Let it, let it marinate uh, for a few days. Do you think Daryl Morey, in his heart of hearts, believes in this roster? Like, do you think that the roster he has now is one he truly believes can be a legitimate, like, championship contender? I think he does, although I think his conviction in that is not as strong as it was when they make these moves, right? Like, I think if you if you sat down and just talked to him off the record in, in a back room somewhere... Mm -hmm. He would tell you himself that Tucker has not been good enough, that House has not offered them enough. You know, I think Melton ultimately has been a good acquisition, so you're happy with that. But I think by and large, he accepts whatever his portion of the responsibility is for this team not being good enough. Like the front office, and I've said this to you, I've written it a bunch. I don't think the front office has been in a, a spot where they're like, well, this is Doc's fault and they're going right. to throw him under the bus. I think this has been treated as we're all in this together. We made this bed as a group. We got to lay in it. We got to figure it out. We got to get this thing moving in the right direction. So, you know, I, I still ultimately believe they think, and he thinks this can be a championship team, but he's not stupid. He's not ignoring mm -hmm. the games that are happening in front of them. And, you know, you see PJ looking older or making mistakes or, and what have you. Then you say, I, I can't believe this is uh <laughs> This is how it's gone in year right. one of the deal because the the bigger problem is that he's under contract next year and he's got a player option in a, in the third year when he's gonna be forty years old, which you would think he would pick up. I mean, at this point, I feel like uh -oh. he would be an absolute fool not to cash that last. What's it? It's like eleven million dollars or something, right? Yeah. So the other part of this more thing is I remember I think it was at the end of season press conference either last year. Maybe it was at a trade, but it was a press conference at that at last year. Maury was talking, and he was talking about how the rules of the game don't lend itself to scoring inside the paint, and that like it's for a center, life is harder for a center than it is when you're living out on the perimeter. Like you get more calls at the perimeter. The three point line is obviously out the perimeter. Whereas when you're a center and you're in the middle, you have to rely on getting calls. You get banged up a bunch more. So to me, and you're around more and more, I do not believe. Maury wants to build around Joel Embiid. Like, I do not think Maury, it, based off what he did in Houston, and then also that comment, and also, like, just where he at, he strikes me as obviously an analytically driven guy. He's big on the three-point ball, all that stuff. I do not believe that he believes Joel Embiid is who he would want to build around. Like, do you, do you think that he's building around Joel because he has to, or because he believes Joel is someone they can actually win with? No, I, so I will push back on that. I think Maury okay. is less about a specific type of star than the level of star. Like, I think he has shown throughout his career that, and I would include the trades he made to surround Harden with guys like Chris Paul, mm -hmm. then Russell Westbrook. And then after they get Russell Westbrook, he says, I'm going to move Clint Capella and we're going to play full-time small ball with like Robert Covington is right. essentially your center. I don't think he's married to, but a, a specific type of basketball. People forget now his first Rockets teams were Yao Ming and Tracy McGrady. Yeah. And, and really if Yao stays healthy, he would have been healthy. He would have been fine with that's your team. The, now for what Yao worth, is your building block for what it's worth. The game was different then. Right. The game was not and, as perimeterly as, as much as the three point shot as it, as it is now. And I, but I think with Daryl, he wants the highest level talent possible, whatever that is. If, if in, in his heart of hearts, knowing what the game is now and how things have changed, if he could pick any star to build around, 
I don't think it would be Joel. To your point, it, it is mm-hmm. just harder to win as a, a big man, as your best player in today's NBA. Like that, we can look all over the league. That's just not how teams are built now. Right. It's not how the rules favor teams and so on and so forth. But I don't think it's like, oh, he wants to move Joel or he would rather have somebody. Like, I, I think he views Joel as one of the best and most talented players in the league. I think what's lost in the analytics discussion is that the Maury Ball Rockets and the thing in Houston with James Harden was as much about generating free throws as it is three pointers. Mm-hmm. And Joel is a prolific free throw drawer and shooter, which for a big man is a gigantic advantage to have a guy who not just gets to the line, but makes most of his free throws. That's a a massive, massive advantage compared to most teams at that spot. And that's, if you're talking about the math and the, the analytics behind that, that's a big, big deal. And I still think the game is ultimately controlled by, can you get stops and can you prevent teams from getting to the areas of the floor that are the highest value areas? That's the paint. And that's the three point line. Joel gets you points in the paint mm-hmm. and Joel stops teams from scoring there. That's always going to be super now, valuable. But like, and I don't, I have them in front of me, but I'm, I don't want to find it in my phone. But if I'm not mistaken, the Sixers are not in the top half of the league in free throw attempts. And they're also, I'm pretty sure, not in the top half of the league in three in three point attempts. If I, last time I looked, I think they were like 19th in free throw attempts and they were, they were around there, maybe a little higher in, in three pointers. Like, I agree. If Maury, if we talk too much about the three pointer and we don't focus enough on the free throws, like, yeah, Joel gets to the line. Harding doesn't get to the line. It feels like as much as he used to, like it doesn't seem. And that's the big deal. That's the big deal. But, but I guess what I was saying though, is Joel gets to the line and Harden's supposed to like, how are they only 19? Like if this is something, if the two things Maury cares about the most are free not to put words in your mouth, but if the free throws and three point line are two things Maury really cares about, why is the team not, for a supposing to be a championship contender, why are they not in the top half of the league in either? And I'll get the numbers while you answer. But I'm well, because sure. James was James was out for a month doesn't help either. And then you're relying on you know the combination of Tyrese, who has gotten better but is still pretty low volume free throw wise. Uh, Shake mm-hmm. Milton doesn't really get to the line. The rest of these guys don't really get to the line. So it makes sense to me that right now they're not. Now if we reach. January, February, and deeper into the year, and these guys are healthy and they don't continue to improve on that, then that's a, a, a fair way of looking at it. But I, I, I do think there are a lot of things that Joel does at his position that are things that Maury values. And so I, I just ultimately think, and you posed the other question end of the last pod, you yeah. said, would would Daryl trade this situation for what's in Houston yeah. right now? And there is not a fucking chance in the world. <laughs> it would All right, well, tell me why. Tell me because why. his ultimate and it's it's every executive. It's a very simplistic thing. He wants to compete for titles and competing for a title in Houston. All the young talent they have is years and years away that they, they're not even close. And what you want as a general manager, president of basketball ops, whatever, are real chances to win a title. Now, you and I can go back and forth on whether they have a real chance now based on where they sit today, but they have a much more real chance this year, next year, two years from now, whatever, than Houston has for the next half decade. I don't know if I agree with that. Houston is, if Houston had lost that game the other night, they they're tied for the worst record yeah. in, the, in the West. That's they're, fine. They're not close. It okay. takes a long time. Like perfect example. Memphis has been this fun, young, exciting team for a while now, right? For several years. Yep. John Morant gets there last This is what year three or four for him, I believe. Yeah. And they've steadily gone up in, in the league hierarchy. They're still not all that close to contending. They, they, they're losing second round. The Sixers are. But that's what I mean. But, they, but, like, okay, go ahead. They're they're much further in the curve than the Rockets are. Right. Okay. And so, so you, like if you would if you're saying would Daryl trade the Sixer situation for like the Grizzlies? Sure. Mm-hmm. He's not trading it for Houston, which is like you still have to do all the work of actually filling out that roster, figuring out which guys are like, is Jalen Green an actual franchise player or is he who is he 
who people thought Devin Booker right. was, which was like an empty calories guy. Now, it turns out that was not true. Mm-hmm. But there are guys like that who just put up lots of numbers on bad teams. And so you have to figure that out. Here, you have your stars. You have guys that, you know, for whatever their flaws are, Joel is an MVP level player, has shown he can be that guy that needs to show that on a more consistent basis. But there's not all the guesswork. It's not the... We don't even know if these guys will be good enough to win playoff series, let alone but, go to a, a title. But but with the Sixers, there's not much guesswork either because we know they're not good enough. We've spent the first two pods and neither of us have discussed <laughs> them as anywhere close to a legitimate title tight, other than injury, other than like Mo, Giannis getting hurt, Tatum getting hurt, and Joel being healthy. Neither of us agrees they have a chance. What Houston has is what the Sixers need, which is young guards. Like the Sixers have Maxi for sure, and we could debate where he ranks versus the Houston guards and prospects. I think Maxi is better right now and is probably a better prospect, but they have two, two legitimate guard like slash forward prospects, like perimeter guys. They have a ton of draft picks. I haven't looked in their cap space. I can't imagine it's as messed up as the Sixers one is. The Sixers are a team that for all this like title contender, blah, 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 blah. They've never been out the second round. Like you're saying it's going to take the Rockets a while to get to where the Sixers are. The Rockets would need to win one playoff round to be where the Sixers are. And I get that that's probably two or three years away, but the Sixers are at a point where their their peak, like the best of the Sixers is gone. This arrow is down, right? Like we can we can hope, we can pray, like we can pretend. Bottom line is the best of the Sixers is behind us, I think, when you look at their roster and where they're at. So if you're Maury, you're sitting here, you're going, okay, do I want to pray this ship doesn't sink or do I want to go to a ship where I have assets, young players, and the young players at positions that I believe in more than the center? So while Houston is maybe an extreme example, what I really kind of meant in that question was, does Maury think this is a, a fixable situation or would he rather be somewhere where he can build it again? Because I don't think the way this has been built and where it's at right now, and we can say, okay, well, when Maury got here, Toby was maxed out, Ben was maxed out. I'm pretty sure Ben was maxed out when 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 Maury got here. Embiid was maxed out. Like I get he didn't have much flexibility. He would have that in Houston. But the bottom line is I do not believe Maury of where this team is at likes where it was built. And I think he'd rather be somewhere with more optionality, with more potential, almost like back in the process, honestly. Like that's that's what I see in Houston versus what I see here. Well, so I'm going to flip it around on you again. We okay. would have said a few years ago, that basically most teams in the league, if you were taking it like a general poll, would have said, we will trade situations to be the Sixers, right? Yeah. They had Joel and Ben in their first year win 50 games, win a playoff series. That is a super high-end outcome for a team that was as young and inexperienced as they are. Mm-hmm. And like almost anybody, save for like a very small group of contenders, would have said, I will take that roster and their picks and what they have and I want to run that. I want to be in charge of that. Now, how has our perspective on that group changed in the years since? And that, like they have gone way downhill from there. We're at the point where you're saying you would trade the situation that has Joel right. Embiid for one that is a team that's won, what, seven games this year? So <laughs> I'm just saying, against, like, against I Joel. think people right. always, always, always overrate young talent. Mm-hmm. There, there are very rare exceptions where you want to trade – somebody who has proven they can at least win to a certain level for someone who might win three or four years down the road. And that, that to me is the the defining Daryl Morey philosophy. He is not all that interested in, you know, Oh, this guy might be good four years from now. It doesn't mean that he doesn't bet on, you know, developing talent or doesn't want young talent on the team. But his driving force behind all his moves, all his transactions is stars win games and stars win games when they are stars in their prime. And if you want to actually try to compete for championships year after year, and his whole thing is if you have, I don't remember if it's, if you have a 5% chance or a 10% chance, if you believe you have that chance to win a title, you owe it to yourself and your team to go for it. Those, we don't have to use Houston as the example, but most most teams in the league are not even close to that number. So I don't think he's trading this situation flawed as it might be asset strapped as it might be right now and old and like sad as 
right talk and, about it as well, being right yeah, now yeah. for for like a, a pipe dream or a hope in the future he's not someone who cares about hope he wants like this is definable this is something this is proven talent this is a guy that has mvp type talent they they have two guys that whatever their flaws are are in that realm of they can go out and win you games and at their best, which who knows if they can hit it when it matters, right? Can compete with anybody, and I think that is ultimately the bottom line with him. So the the last thing I'll say to that is, if that's his philosophy and that's what he wants, then trade Maxi for somebody that can help right now. To get back to our original point, like if if you can't you can't serve both windows, right? You can't you can't like sit here and let Maxi develop while you're praying and hoping that two aging stars, and it's crazy to call Joel that, but that is kind of what he is. While two aging stars try to win 28 now. years old and he's, he's about but is to he not? Back. I mean, like, come on, is he not a little bit? He's a, a big center with foot problems. Like I love Joel. Like I, I, he's my second favorite sixer of all time. I get that. But like, you cannot then on one hand say Maury is a GM that like value stars and wants to win right now. And then also, like, don't think he'll, I'm not saying you personally, but like Maury can't have them both ways. Like if you're going to be all in on this team, then trade Maxi for someone that can help right now. Make him a move for KD maybe. Do something like that. Package Toby. But I just, to your point, like I look at the Rockets and they have a ton of potential, but if you're going to if you're gonna ride with a Sixers team like this, then you got to pick and choose. And I, I just, I don't see any other way to fix them besides making a major trade. And I don't see how that major trade doesn't involve Maxi. That's you know it's fair. I'm just I'm trying to see it as they see it or as I yeah sort of I, how I see it too. Um, and I I think for now until we can figure out the other thing is they've only played what nine games less than nine games with all of Joel James and Tyrese. Well, they're two and the five with Embiid and Harden. I don't know right. what, how many Maxi have been in there, but so I mean that's not good. Yeah, you you. I know we saw the end of last year and what have you, but right. it is a slightly different team and you have to give it some time. Like I'm not making a trade December 15th when the, the guys who can be aggregated again are right. in the mix. If you get to the deadline and this looks either like a sinking ship or a team that needs the one more piece, we can have those discussions when we get there. But I, I still think ultimately you have to, you have to figure out what the hell this team is before yeah. anything else. Well, Kyle, this is why I like reality TV where it's a huge changes every few minutes and you and your more sophisticated TV choices enjoy the nice slower paced TV. So I guess I guess this uh, we'll, we'll find out as it goes. The last question I wanted to talk about before we got out of here um, was the Lakers game on Friday. So obviously beginning of a big homestand. I mean, the Lakers, Anthony Davis is playing really well right now. Good matchup versus Joel. I know they always seem to dodge each other a little bit, at least in covering each other. What are you looking for in that game? And like, what are some matchups? And, you know, what do you, uh, with that game in general, like how big is it to start this home stand with a win? Well, so first of all, I hope LeBron and Anthony Davis play. I know they Yeah, that's out. always the big <laughs> They always, uh, they sat out of, I believe they played Toronto, I want to say last night. And Anthony Davis left the prior game and missed last night's game as a result of an illness. Mm -hmm. um, and so I hope he's ready because prior to that, he had been on an absolute tear. Yeah. And I know he does this every year. It's always like Anthony Davis plays 10 games where he's like <laughs> yeah. absolutely the best player on the planet. And then it's a series of just ridiculous bumps and bruises. And now oh, this is sore and he twisted this ankle and hurt his, he's got a banged up knee, whatever it is, mm -hmm. never seems to be helped. But he has recently embraced playing, I'd say predominantly center, which has always been a challenge for coaches to get him to do that. And so that makes me really excited to say, okay, AD is going to play center and we might get way more matchups of AD versus Embiid specifically. Because there was a game last year, the Sixers beat the Lakers, and I thought Anthony Davis did a really good job of scoring on Joel, who's guarding mm -hmm. him, but then is not guarding him very much. If we get to see them just go toe-to-toe, head-to-head most of the game, that's, that's what I have been hoping for for years. It's always yeah. like when he was with New Orleans – Early years with LA, you're not seeing a whole lot of that. I want to see that. That's they're two of the best big men in the league. Like I like Anthony Davis more than Jokic, frankly, when he's healthy. Yeah. Even though that's a I would tell Jokic has won back to back MVPs, all that. But it's we fraud, don't get to see a lot MVP of it for what it's worth. Fraud. <laughs> no one, no one. Um, Jokic is their best player. 
Yeah, I th- I have more respect for Jokic than a lot of people in Philly, but I mm. I like AD better for a bunch of reasons. Um, but so I'd be really excited about that. I also think, despite the fact that LeBron is older and you know he doesn't have as much burst, yeah. he's been better. The the Lakers have been better. They're on this upswing recently. I think honestly, one thing that maybe we should talk more about as a basketball universe is that Westbrook willingly taking that bench role and really embracing that as yeah. a guy coming no off point. the bench is something that has galvanized that group that if somebody with his accolades and his resume and all that is willing to do that for the team and very few people thought he would be then none of the rest of them can complain about what the coaching staff has asked them to do so i think that lakers team is in a better place right now that's bad for the Sixers because it, it looked like it might be a walkover game mm. as recently as like two weeks ago. But for us, it's great. You know, it's going to create yeah. a better game, a better product and something we have more to talk about now. Well, certainly if Russ goes to the bench, PJ certainly can't complain about going to the oh, bench. Yeah. Maybe, maybe document that. <laughs> so, all right. So I have a wedding tomorrow night that I will be at. So I will watch the game. If I tweet anything late night, you know, it's, it's just, it's just having a fun time at a wedding, any special Joel takes anything like that. So I will be watching the game for sure. But then I think we're going to do our next episode, hopefully on Saturday um, and talk about that game. See, you know, hopefully they start the homestand with the win and we can get our first post game uh, victory pod. So Kyle, thanks so much for taking the time today. As I said, at the top of the show, we are on all the podcast apps, Apple, Spotify, and the Odyssey app for sure. Hit that auto download, hit that five-star review with a question for Kyle. And uh, hopefully we can get one every episode. It'd be a good way to get some uh, different discussions going. So thanks again, Kyle. And uh, I will talk to you on uh, Saturday. Thanks,